This week's episode is sponsored by the Modern Direct Seller Academy. If you're a direct seller, social seller, or network marketer wondering exactly how to build your business and grow your team in today's modern world, look no further than the Modern Direct Seller Academy. I am a huge fan of the Academy, and I've been a very happy member for the last couple of years. Becky Launder, the founder of Modern Direct Seller, really knows the industry inside and out. Within the Academy, you will find coaching and training on relevant topics, a supportive community of like-minded peers, and resources to help you with sales, recruiting, social media, and more. And the best part, it's super affordable. Listeners of Directly Different get $5 off their first month in the Academy, and I'll drop a link in the show notes for you to check it out. The Academy has over 400 direct sellers from almost every company in the industry. It's truly an amazing community. I'd love for you to check it out. Thank you again to Becky and the Modern Direct Seller Academy for sponsoring today's episode. Have you ever wished you could just grab coffee with a top leader in your direct sales company and pick her brain about all the things? Well, you're in luck. My name is Tiffany Spees. Welcome to Directly Different, the podcast where I have conversations with top direct sales leaders and ask them to share what they're doing differently to help them achieve success in their businesses. Direct sales doesn't have to feel spammy or gross. You can absolutely find success in your business by doing things a different way. I want you to feel empowered and inspired to be, well, different. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Directly Different. As social sellers, we are often inspired by the founders of our companies. These men and women are filled with passion, drive, and vision, and you can't help but want to be in the same room as them. They are the ones that keep going even when others quit. They start each day with renewed purpose, a purpose bigger than themselves. Today, I have the absolute privilege of sharing my recent conversation with Elizabeth Heishkins, the co-founder and chief brand officer of one of my very favorite companies, Trades of Hope. Because of her heart to create lasting change in the world, she is making a difference in lives here in the States, as well as in many places across the globe. I hope you come away from this episode feeling so inspired to make a difference in your own corner of the world, because we all have the ability within us. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for being on Directly Different this week. I am so honored to have you here on the show as the founder of Traits of Hope, one of my very favorite companies. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you for having me here. I'm really excited for our conversation. Me too. We have so much planned for you guys. You're going to love it. So first to start off, tell us a little bit about you. Well, I am one of the co-founders of Trades of Hope and our chief brand officer. And, um, you know, we're a, a direct selling business and all of our products are ethically made by women who are leading their family families out of situations of poverty and trafficking. So um, we have jewelry, home decor, bags, you name it. I kind of say fashion and home accessories and all with the greater mission to change the face of poverty and trafficking for women around the world. Such an incredible mission. And I know I told you this before we hopped on the recording, but I love Trades of Hope. I've always been a huge fan. Listeners know this because I've mentioned it in other podcasts with Trades of Hope guests, but I just, I love everything about your company and how you guys are 
making an impact on the world. I just love it so much. So chief brand officer, I forgive me. I don't know if I fully know what that means. So will you tell us what you do as the chief brand officer? Yeah. Yeah, of course. So the chief brand officer overlooks the the brand, brand messaging, brand positioning, as well as a customer's experience of the brand. So everything from like visuals, communication, just being aware of how we put ourselves out in the world. Also, since we advocate on behalf of other women facing really difficult issues, we're really sensitive on how we advocate for them and making sure that it's done in a really dignified way. Um, So things like that, but then everything to like packaging and making sure that our customers feel appreciated and they know the depth of the impacts that they've made with their purchases. And then everywhere, you know, website glitches everywhere in between. (laughs) I'm sure it's never a dull moment in your office. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. And you're doing such a great job because like I said, I love the company and my experience is always so positive. So way to go there. Thank you. (laughs) All right, Elizabeth, I would love to hear about your entrepreneurial experience before you co-founded Trades of Hope. So tell us a little bit about your background. I come from very entrepreneurial parents. Um, My mom, when I was five years old, founded um, not a business, but a nonprofit in Haiti, which is what gave us the insight to the need that women face around the world and grew up going to that and just watching my mom be a powerhouse and, and really take action on the things that she said she wanted to do. She never talked about what she was going to do. Uh, she just did it. And so I had like a front row seat to a woman who, um, walks the walk. She doesn't even talk the talk. She doesn't brag on herself. She doesn't tell you plans of what she's going to do. She just does it. Um, and my father was very entrepreneurial as well, very successful in his own finance career, and then started a business of his own that was so successful that he was able to sell. So I just grew around, I grew up around people, um, who just went for it and kind of had this, I mean, this in the most respectful way, this kind of like delusion, like I'm just going to do it and I'm not going to overthink, you know, how it's going to go. I'm just going to do what's right in front of me. And, um, I, I adopted that. I mean, my first business was, uh, that I created actually started out of like a high school class that my dad was teaching about um, being an entrepreneur. And I started a a photography business out of that. It was supposed to just be a classroom assignment. Um, But that became my first really big business that, I mean, I was a completely booked out photographer, was doing sometimes three weddings in a weekend. And I was a teenager and this is how I got my gas money and how I, you know, saved to, to go to college. I mean, I didn't finance my college education. I want to be transparent about that, but you know, how I could afford living out of the home and stuff like that. So, um, that was kind of the beginning of it. And then, um, that photography business carried me through until traits of hope, uh, started really growing. That is so cool. And I think entrepreneurialism is one of the best skills that we can pass on to our, to our kids and to our families. And I think it's, it teaches kids how to be resourceful. And like you said, it teaches you that, you know, your parents' experiences taught you that, you don't have to settle for no, like you can, you can go live whatever big dreams you have because nothing's stopping you except for yourself. And so what a gift that you learned that from them. And here you are today as a successful entrepreneur. So I just, I love that. I love stories like this when parents are so supportive and have contributed to the financial and entrepreneurial success of their children. I just think it's so amazing. So tell us about how Trades of Hope was founded. How did it come to be? 
Absolutely. So Trades of Hope was founded um, by four of us women, myself, my mother, and two of our friends. And it started because that nonprofit that I mentioned that my mom had founded, um, she just had a very natural transition out of it. And she was beginning to feel a lot of um, just like really convicted that the work she was doing at the nonprofit wasn't creating the long-term sustainable dignified change that she wanted to be a part of in some way in the future. She was thinking distant future. And I likewise, um, I grew up going to Haiti, spent a lot of my childhood in Haiti. And as like a child was always concerned with when can I go back? Like, is this next school break long enough for me to go to Haiti and see my friends and, and feel honestly, it's just where I felt the most purposeful. It's where I felt the most like whatever, whatever I did that day mattered. And even as a teenager, that really resonated with me. And um, I, though, had a lot of experiences in which I saw that charity was just, it was not creating the change that we wanted to see. And it was really undignified a lot of the time. Now, don't get me wrong, charity has a place like natural disasters, um, education in rural areas, all like really great ways to use charity. But as far as alleviating poverty, like charity was not alleviating poverty. And I would say in most instances, it doesn't. I would have like, I would be a child and a grown man would ask me for money because I was white, basically. So like the lack of dignity of like an adult coming to a child asking for money, even as a kid, I was like, this is awkward. This isn't right. Like this isn't how it was intended to be. And just, I just remember so many instances where mothers would bring their children to this orphanage to relinquish them for adoption, even though they loved them, but they couldn't afford to take care of them. And I mean, I've just seen women hand over their babies and like cry as they walk out the door because they're never going to see their loved child again. And so Gretchen and I had a lot of these experiences over our time in Haiti, and it really just led to like something else. There has to be a better way. There has to be a way that feels more just to help the women in these, to stand with these women, really. And um, we always say at Trades of Hope, help them be the heroes of their own stories, because all of these humans are perfectly capable. They just lack opportunities in a lot of these countries and communities. So Gretchen was transitioning out of the nonprofit and she um, had a friend who was really feeling like energized to, to start a business, create a legacy for herself and her children. And she was also very entrepreneurial as well. So myself, my mother, Gretchen, and our two friends um, started Traits of Hope. And that that's kind of how it was born. It was born out of this like need that was identified. Like there has to be a dignified way for people to sustainably come out of poverty. Um, but then also knowing that like, business, as you said, and and being an entrepreneur, like it can create so many opportunities for generations to come. So we combined those two, those two things. And out of that traits of hope was born. That is amazing. Now, do you four still run the company together? Um, just Gretchen and I uh, run okay. the company now. Our two friends transitioned out and um, I mean, they're, they're doing really cool things now that have tra- transitioned onto a different season. So it's Gretchen, Gretchen and I at the helm. That's amazing. That's amazing. They always say, you know, Alone, we can do so little, but together we can do so much. And you guys oh, yeah. really took that and ran with it and created a beautiful company with a beautiful mission out of it. Thank you for sharing that. I, of course, have known of the origins of Trades of Hope, but to hear it from you was, was really special. So thank you so much for sharing that. So Elizabeth, why is fair trade so important to you and to these amazing women who started Trades of Hope? Why did you guys feel so passionate about creating 
fair trade products for, for women? Our passion for fair trade really came out of our passion for wanting to create sustainable, dignified business opportunities for women so that they can lead their own families out of poverty and even situations of human trafficking as well. And fair trade just ensures that the woman who makes your product is made is is making that product in a safe working environment. They're being paid a living wage, not just a fair wage, but a living wage for their region. No child labor was involved. And most of the time, these communities then are being taken care of, not just the one woman, but these fair trade principles cover also their community to ensure they have clean water, safe housing, all of that. So it's a real holistic approach to ensuring that the person who made what you're wearing is taken care of. And when you think about like everything that we wear was touched by someone, I like knowing that that's someone, like that's kind of intimate when you think about it. Like I'm putting these things on my body. I, wear, I mean, these earrings I've worn every day for like six months. Like that's kind of intimate to know that someone else has made it and touched it. And when I think of it that way, I demand to know that they were treated fairly and paid fairly and they're thriving. Their children are thriving. I mean, when a woman has a safe and sustainable job, she then is more likely to send not only her boys, but her girls to school as well. And so that creates generational change of opportunities. Um, that's why I would say fair trade is so important. Not so much, you know, I, I've not always been super passionate about like ethical fashion per se. I am now after I've learned what I've learned about the people who make what we wear, but it really originated out of just these women love their children. These women are so wise, so creative, so smart, so capable, so hardworking, but they just lack no one. There's no market for them to make something. They just lack a job opportunity. So we're like, well, everyone loves to buy jewelry. Everyone loves to buy bags. Everyone loves to buy home decor. Um, so to create a space and, and an opportunity for someone to create it in a safe, dignified way where they receive a wage that over time allows them to lead their families out of poverty. That's why we love fair trade. Yes. I love that so much. That's such a great way to put it. I would love to hear about your experiences going to visit these women since starting Trades of Hope. Of course, you grew up going to Haiti so many times, but after seeing the impact of what Trades of Hope has has made on these families and their lives, what has the experience been visiting them in person? It's so cool. And you know, you mentioned some of the trips that I took, uh, well, the many trips I took to go to Haiti before Trades of Hope. And I don't know what to say. I have a lack of a better word, but like the vibe is just different. Like going before was okay, I'm going. Um, it's, it feels like a hopeless situation. I'm really there to like serve and there's nothing wrong with that, but it was kind of like, oh, there's something really hard going on and I'm just going to try to see what I can do. Um, and it was kind of somber before as much as I loved going and I had lots of relationships with people in Haiti. So like that was fun, but the whole situation was just a lot more somber. Now, when we go to visit our artists and partners, there's so much hope involved and it's less kind of like, oh, I'm coming to serve these people and more like, I'm going to go meet up with my business partners and we're going to collaborate on products for the future and, and learn more about like what we can do on both sides to better this relationship. Even just the things that I wear on these trips are different. Like I dress like I'm going to go meet a peer. You know what I mean? That's just so different than like, oh, I need to bring my whatever clothes because I'm going on like a missions trip. Like it's very different and it's so much more dignified. And not only is it just feel more like, meeting with, with peers, it feels like 
this trip is not the entirety of the work. This trip is like a small part of the work that we do. Cause I know I'm going to go, we're going to meet, we're going to connect and plan for the future. But then the real work happens when I come back home. Whereas I'm sure anyone who has traveled to um, a developing community can attest, like you go there, you pour your heart out, you, you learn so much. And then you come home and you're like, what do I do with this now? Like, where does this all go? Um, where do I, I have nothing to channel all of my new knowledge and passion into. Whereas visiting our artists and partners feels like when I get back home, it's just the beginning again, like where we continue this partnership, we deepen it. And there's so many opportunities for the future. And I'm really excited because this year is the first year in like three years where we're bringing some of our Trades of Hope partners who sell Trades of Hope products to Guatemala to meet with our artists and partners in Guatemala. We used to do multiple trips a year, then obviously COVID happened. And so much of the world because of that has like the climates in different countries have changed and whatnot. But I'm just thrilled because to have to allow other women to experience that as well, like I'm going on this trip, but this trip is not the entirety of our work. It's just like the beginning of all the more possibilities that's to come after I get home. I'm excited for more women to experience that. I love that. It gives it so much more purpose. There wasn't, it wasn't lacking purpose before, but now, like you said, it just ignites that flame that will keep going when you come home. That is an amazing, it sounds like an amazing experience. That's so, that's incredible. All right, Elizabeth. So being a founder, a co-founder and an entrepreneur, that's not an easy road. Those of us who are, you know, listening that I shouldn't say just have, but simply have a social selling business of their own, they, there's even hard days in that. So tell us about what it's like to be a founder and entrepreneur. What keeps you motivated on the hard days? And I know, you know, you just got done telling us about how incredible it is and how life-giving and purposeful it is to do what you do, but there's hard days. We can't, we can't skirt around that. So tell us about your experience as an entrepreneur and how you keep yourself motivated day in and day out. Yeah, there are definitely hard days. And I completely understand that even as a seller, like there are hard days with that as well. I definitely would not, I would not compare them. I mean, hard is hard for sure. Um, so I would say how I stay motivated. What motivates me is like our mission at Traits of Hope, um, knowing that real women and their families are impacted when I show up to do my part, as well as like those selling trades hope show up to do their part, but then even like our artisan partners showing up and doing their part, like all three, whether it's like the trades of hope company, trades of hope partners who sell it or our trades of hope artisan partners, like we all have to show up at the same time. So I know when I show up to do my part, that that means real women are impacted. That definitely motivates me. But I want to say, because I know you have obviously, you have women who listen, who sell different, a, a myriad of things. And I just encourage that woman, that seller to think of like what either is like the mission of my product, because I, I'm hard pressed to find a direct sales company that doesn't have a, a greater mission. Um, whether it's like clean beauty or, um, clean, like clean homes. Um, even just the way that like, if you sell makeup, like you're empowering a woman to be more confident. Like there is such a deeper meaning behind all of our products. Even if you're not directly impacting poverty, like there is a deeper meaning and deeper mission. And not only is there usually a company deeper meaning and mission, but I feel that every seller has like a personal deeper meaning and mission. Like, you know, that the 
the extra income that comes in from that helps helps you or your family in some way. It helps you, um, even what we just talked about, like being an entrepreneurial parent and showing your kids, like being a living example of what's possible for them. Um, I know there are tons of children watching. They're selling moms right now who will go on to be entrepreneurs, whether or not they sell in direct sales or not, they'll start something because they had a front row, row seat to seeing their mom do her own thing. And that's really inspiring to me. So it's definitely my core mission. And I would say maybe a little more specific than the mission is like the vision of the future that I'm working to create. And again, I think no matter what you're selling, whether it is like the company's vision or the company's vision, plus your own personal, like why and vision, I write it down. Like I write down what I'm, what is the world or at least my reality that I'm trying to create. And, and that keeps me motivated all the time. I do just want to put in a little asterisk though. Like I'm not always motivated. And there are some days where I just, you know, I, I give maybe a hundred percent, but definitely not 110% because I just know that's not going to be a thing today. And I do give myself grace and I would give anyone grace. And that's kind of the beauty of social selling as well as season to season that can look very different. Yes, that's so true. And we are all about that here on Directly Different. We talk about that in many episodes, how we can show up the best that we can, but sometimes that isn't, you know, it's not hundred percent every single day and that's okay yeah. because we can still make a difference without having to do that. And so I am glad that you pointed that out too. All right. Speaking of the last few years, Elizabeth, how have you seen the fair trade industry grow and pivot with everything that has happened in the last few years? What have you seen out there in the world? I will say that after the last few years, something that has been so beautiful to see is the direct impact that fair trade can have as our artisan partners. I mean, we have a lot of artisan partners in India. And as we saw on the news, India was like, had mass graves after, after COVID like really hit, hit there. And the way that all of the messages that we've received saying like your orders helped sustain us through COVID, like tons of people pulled their orders out and you guys honored all of your orders. And to be honest, like with the economy being so iffy, like we didn't know how or if we were going to sell those products, but we always buy our products up front from our artisans before we sell them. So we just, we really honored that those orders that we promised them. And for them to write in and say, like, I was able to work from home when we couldn't go into the workshop and work, or I was able to workshop with like, and like watch my kids, like on the other side of the room, you know, everyone pulled out orders, but you guys didn't. And that's how we were able to like earn enough money to get food that week. Like this is what fair trade does. And while there has been a lot of hard things over the last few years, including just things like. I mean, we see it here in America as well, but prices for everything have gone up. Like you can't, prices before 2020 are not the same as they are now. Just things like even materials and um, importing, exporting, everything's higher and that can be hard. So when you asked that question, I was like, hmm, what positive thing can I think of? But one positive <laughs> thing definitely is like the the direct impact and, you know, trades of hope especially like the customers at Trades of Hope or our partners who sell Trades of Hope, like they can do one thing and it make a huge impact. You know, it's not like, well, when a thousand people buy something, that's when something like really cool is going to happen. It's like, no, like the purchase you make makes a huge difference on like when we can order from them again and when they get more, um, more of that work, that dignified work coming in. So that's one thing that the last few years have taught us that this is such, it's such an immediate impact and that is, um, that's gratifying. 
It definitely is because there was so much negative negativity and sadness. And so to hear stories like that is always so encouraging. And it makes it, it makes you realize that not everything was terrible (laughs) in 2020. There were some amazing things that came out of it. And so I'm so grateful that you guys were able to support your partners in other countries through that time. So how have you seen social selling pivot as a whole in the last few years as a company founder? Yeah, I would say that social selling has pivoted in the sense where um, I think people want it to be easier. And as a company, from the company side of things, we've definitely put in systems that are easier. We just redid our whole like onboarding system so that, you know, people feel like they can sponsor new partners because they know they don't have to get on like an hour long zoom call with like their new person who may or may not show up. And honestly, if I'm being honest, I don't want to get on a one hour zoom call with someone that I barely know and like, hope she's nice to me. And it's not like a waste of my time. I get that. And I don't even have children yet. So I can't even imagine like adding children into the mix and like scheduling. Well, I just sponsored someone on my team and now I have to see if she'll show up for the one hour zoom call. Like I get why that would not be appealing. Um, so we changed like our whole onboarding process, our whole new training for, um, new partners. That's what, what we call like our consultants or partners. And, um, so that partners feel really, empowered to sponsor without that kind of looming over their head, like, well, how am I going to onboard them? So we've basically made that so much easier for our partners by putting in a new onboarding process that they don't even have to really participate that much in. Also, just like making sure that talking about the products are as easy as possible. We're kind of, um, I feel we're trying to put things on a silver platter for our field not because they need it on a silver platter. Like the women who sell tradesfolk are incredibly smart, incredibly savvy and resourceful. And there are some women who do their own thing. And we're like, we're pumped about that too. Um, but for those who just have like quick touch points, we're like, here, we have on the silver platter for you. Go move forward. Uh, do, do whatever feels right for you. Take what you want, leave what you don't. I would say that's like a huge change. And I don't even think we've seen the full wave yet of people coming off of the pandemic. It's so crazy because it's been like years, technically. It feels like it's, it feels like not years, but <laughs> I don't even think we've seen the full wave of people who join direct selling off of this situation of our economy. Like that hasn't even peaked yet. I don't even think the wave has fully happened yet, but I know they're coming because that's the beautiful reason, kind of even part of the reason why at Trades of Hope, we we were drawn to the direct selling business model because we're like, this business model doesn't dip as much during recessions. Like this, like, this is sustainable um, and it actually feeds into the lives of our neighbors here in America. You know, we're such an international business, but we love that this is giving women in in the U.S. opportunities as well. So those are kind of the big changes, but as far as like wanting things to be super easy, but at the same time, I think we can kind of have hope, Um, you know, if you're a social seller and you're wanting to grow your team, like we haven't even seen the post-COVID wave of people who are like, I need an easy way to earn an income. It's coming. I just don't even think we've we've seen it yet, which is kind of exciting. Not exciting because people need work, but exciting because there's so many opportunities for those people to find easy and fulfilling work. Yes. And I think making things easy for social sellers is such a great business move because your job as chief brand officer, you were saying that you are in charge of the customer's experience and how they experience things. But we also, you know, some companies 
maybe put more effort into the customer experience versus the consultant experience. And sometimes that can affect it. And so I'm glad that you guys are really focusing on the consultant experience too, because that's equally as important. Because if you have, it's kind of like the happy wife, happy life, (laughs) happy partner, happy business, right? Yes, absolutely. That's so funny. I've never thought of that in the context of direct selling, but it's true. Happy consultant, happy business. Yes. That's right. That's right. All right, Elizabeth, let's talk a little bit about selling. I know that this is a topic that comes up a lot with people, especially those who are looking to join a direct sales company. They will often say that's an objection that we hear a lot is, well, I'm not great at selling. I'm not a good salesperson. But we do have to have an element of that in order to be successful at social selling because it's literally in the name. So how can we as social sellers confidently and boldly share, not only share, but share and sell our products? That's a great question. And this is something that I've been exploring personally because I realized like, oh, if I'm asking my consultants to sell, I better know how to sell myself. That's something that I... I definitely take a put upon myself. And so this idea of like boldly and apologetically selling, but doing it, doing it in a way that feels good because you're right. Most people don't have like necessarily on paper business sales experience. And I think every company hears that objection a lot or their field hears that objection a lot. Um, So the way that I have started to approach selling myself, as well as helping our consultants to view selling is really like, Selling is serving. I've met the best women within the direct selling industry. Like they're so kind, they're so compassionate, they're so thoughtful, and they really don't want to bother anyone, annoy anyone. They don't want to seem audacious or like selfish or like full of themselves. And even just the other day, um, I was talking to a partner and she was like, sometimes I have the hardest time just sending my link to my family because they know I get commission from this. And I was like, why is it bad that you get commission from this? If they're your family, don't you, don't they want you to have more money? And she was like, I don't know. It's just weird. And like the most, like, I feel like very self-aware people um, within the direct selling industry. And so this pivot that I've recently undergone mentally for myself and I've been leading our sales, our consultants through has been really selling and serving. And, you know, when you approach a conversation thinking like, oh, I hope they buy from me or I hope, you know, they actually click that link I sent them. It is such a subconscious, and I want to make it very clear. I know this is subconscious. It's subconsciously making the situation about yourself. Whereas like if you show up to a conversation really wanting to learn what is this customer's needs, what is she struggling with, what is she wanting at the end of the day, is it another shampoo option? Is it to make a difference in the world? Is it to have more finances um, coming into her household? Learning what that is means I can confidently declare this is a great opportunity for you or not instead of just like trying to sell or sponsor anything anyone sorry anyone with a pulse when I genuinely don't know like I don't know if the shampoo is going to work for her until I figure out more like what her needs are her problems are or I don't know if she should buy a $200 trades of hope bag until I know kind of what she's looking for so I can recommend it fully. And, or I don't know if she would be really good at selling this until I learn more about um, maybe what her schedule looks like. Is this something that's going to empower her or hinder her? So to me, learning, really taking the time to learn who I'm talking to, ask them some thoughtful conversations, really 
listen and like really listen, not just ask the question for like, oh, are they saying something that I could sell something to them? Like really listening and having that that empathetic ear on has been huge for me because then when I when it does come to the point where I'm like, this is going to be an amazing fit for you. You know, if I send you the language, you want to take a look, then I'm doing it. And I'm not worried about being selfish because I genuinely think it would help them. I'm not worried about being audacious because I have something that that they want. Like I can help them win in some way. And then also like it's 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 almost like invited at that point. Like, okay, you've told me that like this shampoo is going to be great for me or like I can help a mother provide for her children. Like, yes, I want to be a part of that then it's almost like, well, like, why haven't you sent me the link yet? So that has been a huge change that I've made and that I've been talking to our consultants about is just, it's not so much like, oh, I sent them the link. Like, are they going to click it? Are they going to click it? Like, I would love to have like that income come in before the end of the month. It's more like listening and, and remembering, like, I think maybe to tackle onto this is, or tack onto this is you have so much value. And again, I don't know all of the sellers and all of the companies that are like represented in your listenership. But I do know that every single seller who's listening has so much value to offer, whether it's in a cosmetic product, whether it's in a household product, um, an accessory, a fashion product, but even just the opportunity for someone to be on your team, like that is so precious. Like people are looking and searching, like, look at our economy. They want easy ways to make money. Like how can you worry about being selfish, like worry about looking selfish when you're selling, when you know what you have? Actually, we just did an event with a ton of our consultants. And I, I said, look, I would get why you would be worried about looking, being annoying if you had like nothing to offer. Like if your product was terrible quality, if everyone you knew hated being a Trades of Hope partner, like I would get why you would be worried about being annoying. But what you literally hold in your hands is so needed why would you want to keep that to yourself? And so those mind switches have been really helping me and helping our field. I love that so much. And I think we have thankfully shifted away from, like you mentioned, that mindset of anyone with a pulse needs to join my team or could join my team. And that's not necessarily the case. And so I'm glad to see that shift happening and, or it has happened definitely, but I'm glad to see that. And just these little mindset shifts are very important and can help us as we sell. And it's, it does take work. It takes practice to get over that fear, you know, but, uh, like you said, just to remember that at the heart of all of what we're doing, is service and sharing with others, you know, what we have to offer. And so thank you for making those points. That was, that was wonderful to hear. Elizabeth, what would you say is your best advice for those listening who, you know, are listening to this, they're hearing all of it and they agree with you, but they just feel like they've lost a little bit of passion in what they're doing. I know that your, what you do with Trades of Hope is so filled with passion that how could you lack it? But those listening, maybe they've kind of just lost their fire, lost the gleam in their eye, lost that sparkle. How can they get a little bit of passion back into their business if it has gone by the wayside? Yeah, I think that's very, very normal. Um, no matter what you sell, I think that's very normal. I, I feel like if you're direct selling for long enough, you're going to have that experience. And I could recommend a couple ways to approach that based off just like how one's brain might work. I feel like everyone processes things a little bit differently. But the first thing I would say is like, where can you pivot your perspective? And by pivot perspective, I mean, 
if you are selling something because you originally, maybe you you started selling because you wanted to earn an X amount of income for your household, maybe just like a few hundred dollars a month or something like that. I would challenge that by saying like, are you earning a few hundred dollars a month or are you an example for your daughter of what it looks like to bring in money into your household or daughter or son and either way? Or um, are you contributing towards savings that creates generational wealth for your family? Like really pivot it. Like, is there like a deeper truth here than just what you're giving yourself credit for? Because that's the thing. Um, at Trisco, we mainly work with women, our main of our uh, our Salesforce, our consultants, but women are just so hard on themselves and give them like the bare minimum credit and just say like, oh, I'm just, I just, you know, brought in like a few hundred dollars. It's not like, that's crazy. Most people can't do that from like the comfort of their homes. And again, like, where's that money going? What is that contributing to? And what example are you setting for those who are watching, whether they're children or peers or anything like that? You know, if you're selling makeup, are you just selling makeup or are you equipping women with the tools to put their best foot forward? And it's statistically proven like when women wear makeup, they speak up more, they put themselves out there more, they um, ask more questions because they just feel a little bit more confident. And so are you helping women like, are you selling makeup or are you helping women use their voice when they otherwise wouldn't have? Like, I, that's what I mean by just like pivoting the perspective, like really digging deep and maybe tapping back into when you originally started selling, like what stood out to you. And maybe you don't care about that thing anymore, but I would say the odds are usually that you do. And, and just looking at it from a slightly different perspective can be so powerful and, and uplifting because you realize like, oh, I'm not just doing. I'm not just selling a little bit each month. Like I am helping other people do this or I am contributing or I'm get receiving this from it. And it feels really good and really powerful. I would, the other thing that I would say, which is kind of the same, but slightly different for if it just resonates with someone else's brain a little bit more is I would think about it and just think like, what do I want? Like, what kind of life do I want? What future do I want to create for myself or my loved ones? what reality and even just the world am I wanting to address? What causes do I care about? And, and maybe just don't even think about your business for a minute. Just think like, what do I want? And another thing, I just think women are not asked, other people are not asking them what they want. So we have to really train ourselves to reflect ourselves. You know, I think it's so rare for you to pick up your kids and and say, mom, what do you want for dinner tonight? Like, no, no one's asking you anything about what you want. So um, I just encourage if, if there is someone who's selling, who's feeling the way you described, like, find like 10, 15 minutes, grab a notepad or open the notes app on your phone and just write down like, what is it that you want for yourself in this season or maybe even the next or um, for your loved ones, for the world that you want to create and see if on that list, there are ways that you can accomplish that with your business through selling. Is there, is it some financial goal that you want to hit? Is it some belief that you have about like, the safety of our products in in our American society that does not regulate that at a government level. Like, is that something you're passionate about? Can you accomplish that with your business? I would imagine, yes, if you're selling some kind of product like that. Um, To just, just kind of, instead of trying like to dig your heels in and just like talk yourself into your business, just mentally disconnect from your business. Think, what is it that I want? And I... I would venture, I guess, that 90% of the time, what you want is possible to bring about with your business, whatever, wherever you're selling. I love both of those suggestions. I think it's, it goes deeper than 
you know, we hear a lot of times like go back to your why, but I feel like these are both deeper ways to do that. And sometimes we can hear that, go back to your why, reestablish your why. And it kind of goes in one ear, not the other, because we hear it so much. So I love your perspective on, on how we can make those shifts and reignite our passion for our businesses, because it's important. Like you said, the work that we're doing is important, whether we think it is or not. Like you said, we are being examples to our family. We are making impacts in our community. We are making an impact internationally with companies like Trades of Hope. And so it's all beautiful. It's all amazing. And so to find that passion again is worth it for sure, (laughs) because what we have, what we as women and we as social sellers have to offer the world is incredible. And so that's worth diving into for sure. Elizabeth, I would love to chat for a second about your podcast that you do with your mom. So tell us about your podcast legacy and what you guys do in that space. Absolutely. So at legacy, Gretchen and I chat, we just chat about things that we enjoy talking about basically. And that's ranged from everything from the importance of women making money and getting that to be like a little bit more socially acceptable to talk about, to ethical fashion, we have an episode on, to confidence. A lot of our, I mean, Gretchen and I are kind of like naturally very confident people. So we chat about that there a lot. We do some Q and A's with people, like just from, from our listeners and, and stuff like that. So it's a very, it's, we say that it's a podcast for visionary women, whether that is like really ambitious women or really philanthropic women or women who just know that they want to leave a legacy with their lives, no matter what that is. That's what we do. And I, I've said before that we want it to feel like a safe space for women who, who are ambitious or have a mission. Like you can, we can talk about some of the burdens that come with having a lot of dreams or wanting or having a lot of ambitions or wanting to help reach goals. We talk a lot about success tips. So it's very holistic approach to women who um, are balancing a lot and doing a lot. Um, We also just had an episode that came out a few weeks ago about the importance of being kind to yourself and not being so hard on yourself. Um, Just ways to set yourself up for success so you're not beating yourself up because you didn't do something that you said you were going to do. It's a very holistic approach, lots of conversations for women in various stages of, of life. That sounds amazing. I am going to check it out for sure. And I'm sure listeners will check that out wherever you get your podcast, look up legacy. So Elizabeth, how can listeners get in touch with you and follow you? Absolutely. Well, um, I personally am all over everywhere. Instagram's kind of where I am the most at Elizabeth Heishkins, which is a mouthful. Um, I'm sure we could link it somewhere or something like that. And, and Trades of Hope, we're on Instagram as well, just at Trades of Hope. Tradesofhope.com is where you can check out our mission and our work a little bit more closely. There's so many ways to, to get involved and make an impact through what we do. Um, yeah, I would I would be so honored to have you check it out. I love this. Thank you so much. I will for sure link your Instagram handle in <laughs> no the one can show notes. <laughs> I know when we hopped on, I said, number one, how do you say your last name? So I will definitely link that for everybody in the show notes, but thank you so much for this conversation. I can tell that what you do with Trades of Hope and as a founder, entrepreneur, podcaster, I can tell that it just lights you up and you are so passionate about all of it. And that is amazing to see. And it's truly contagious and it is so incredible to connect with such amazing women such as you, Elizabeth. So thank you again. 
so much for being on the show this week and for inspiring our listeners. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Tiffany. I hope that it has helped the people who are listening um, really feel excited and like they can be bold about their business because what they have to offer is really, really important. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening in to this week's episode. In my opinion, it's way more fun to share life with a friend. So if you loved what you heard today, feel free to take a screenshot and post it to your socials so your friends can listen into the show too. Don't forget to tag me at Directly Different Podcast and I'll be sure to give you a shout out. Speaking of social media, follow me on Instagram at Directly Different Podcast and send me a DM. I'd love to continue the conversation. I'll catch you guys in the next episode.